Our children are dismissed for their time of worship to continue. As I prepared for this morning, I wondered about what you were worrying about. Because I thought of several things that you could be worrying about. Maybe you were worried about midterm results, or about the caravan, or about the troops, gun violence, 24-hour news cycles, global warming, artificial intelligence, a sick child, or a sick parent, or a sick self, changes at church, changes at home, changes at work. I know magazines are supposed to be about entertaining you, but on the top of my kitchen counter this week sat the most recent Atlantic, which advertised to me articles it thought I would want to read. Teacher, therapist, parent, spy, what Alexa is doing to us. How Newt Gingrich broke politics. Can the Pentagon weaponize the brain? As our beloved Debbie, who comes by our office often during the week, says... At the end of a conversation, is there anything else I need to be worried about? It seems that the commonality amongst all of our worries that we carry is just uncertainty. It's the unknown. The headlines read, what we don't know can hurt us and let us tell you all the ways it's possible. Let us state the obvious. Living in history while it is unfolding is one of the most frightening exercises. Living a human life that is predictably unpredictable and always out of our control, this is difficult work. And yet it is our worries that often lead us straight here into this sanctuary. Over 125 years, people have come to this corner to find some sense of certainty on uncertain days. We come to cherish something that will last. We come to see friends who become family. We come to hear words that acknowledge our present challenges and offer hope for uncertain days. We come to smell that church smell. Or to sit in pews. To see friendly faces that welcome us just as we have come. To hear music that helps our souls soar. Humanity has never had the luxury of knowing exactly what's about to happen. This is the essence of what it means to be alive. And when you read Highland's history book, as I hope that you have, it reflects the same truth. The people who have filled these pews and preached from this pulpit have always wrestled with life's uncertainty and looming dangers. You see, where you sit right now, someone was nervous sitting there many, many years ago. We read our history with the privilege of knowing the course of events, but they lived their lives without the foresight of what was to come, just like we do. Our past can remind us the church has endured a lot. There have been hard times, and the people of God have endured through them. But a short reassurance from the saints of old is not sermon enough for me. The message that, well, 
People in the past have endured hard moments, and so you can too. Maybe enough for you to keep going. But I actually need something more than that. It worked out fine before. It doesn't actually quench the yearning within me on uncertain days. You see, our ancestors cannot absorb our uncertainty and cannot take it away. Because life in the present is always just open-ended. It's always unknown. And no one can live your life for you. Your sponsor cannot stay sober for you. Your pastors cannot follow Jesus for you. Your life is your own. And no matter how much your loved ones might try, they cannot actually live your life for you. In the same way, while we celebrate the saints... The saints can't live out our faith, nor can we just look to them and try to repeat exactly what they do, though we follow the saints chronologically. We don't actually follow them as our leaders, per se. We cherish their example, but they aren't actually the pioneers and perfectors, you will notice in Scripture. That only goes to one person. In fact, If you do any examination of the saints, of Christians who went before us, it can actually leave you a bit more uncomfortable than you had started with. You see, we cherish their faith and we benefit from all of their knowledge and wisdom and words, but their flaws are most obvious in hindsight. Luther's anti-Semitism, Boyce's ownership of slaves, The minority of recognized female Christian leaders in our windows. And most striking, there's only one person of color in the windows. Or we could go on, how about even in the Bible, Peter's denial, or Paul's misogyny, or Abraham's near child sacrifice? Just exactly how do we cherish a Christian history, and even the history of our own congregation. That includes seasons for which our ancestors should repent, and maybe we should as well. Furthermore, if there's anything my doctoral focus groups has taught me and scared me about, it is that inevitably some piece of the theology that we teach today we will have to repent of in about 10 years. Even so, I think we have to be careful about what we expect of our predecessors as it reflects what we actually might be expecting of ourselves in our own lifetime. Do we expect to be the Savior? Do we expect to fix everything and also, by the way, to do it perfectly so that we don't have anything our, our gen- the next generation has to repent for? Or do we remember that it is our job not to be the Savior, but to point towards the Savior. We are the foretaste of the kingdom. How much grace do we give ourselves? So I do, I, I come here to be surrounded by the saints in the pews and in the windows. But what I really need is actually the Savior towards which the saints point. The whole book of Hebrews extols the saints as a therefore people. The writer writes all about Jesus and then will say, and therefore, we can only cherish the saints when we know it actually has come before them. 
What comes first and foremost for the writer of Hebrews is Jesus Christ, the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being, the one who sustains all things and endures all things, the one who sits on a throne not of judgment but of grace, the one who comes so that we might have life, the one who has absorbed death once and for all. The saints and the church, we are the, well, therefore, people. The people that come after and because of Christ. We only make sense of who we are when we first consider who Jesus is. You see, where we place ourselves in the story of God, it generally makes all the difference. A professor that I um, encountered at Duke, Samuel Wells, writes a book on improvisation as the Christian life. And, and he proposes that the, um, the timeline of God is in five acts, like a five-act play. And he says the first act is creation, that out of God's uncontainable love, God pours forth love and beauty into creation. And the second act is Israel. God enters into a covenant relationship with the people and calls them into a vocation, into a purposeful life and relationship with the creator of the world. And the third act, the third act is Jesus, whereby the author who created and started the story enters the story and enacts the definitive act of all time, where God reveals God's character in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The fourth act is where we find ourselves. We are the church. The author has entered the story. Therefore, we have been given all that we need to be Jesus' body in the world. But this is a five-act play. And there's a fifth act. We await act five when God comes again in great revelation, coming again in the same way God came in the third act, in compassion and love for all people. You see, where we place ourselves in this story, it generally makes all the difference. Sometimes we get off track because we place ourselves at the beginning of the story. We forget Christ in the definitive moment in Act 3, and we feel the pressure. We've got to fix everything, as if salvation of the world rests on our shoulders. This is especially tempting in uncertain times. Sam Wells calls this the myth of human fulfillment, insisting that, quote, everything must be squeezed into the unforgiving span of a single life. Sometimes we get off track because we place ourselves actually at the end of the story, as if we are at the end of human history. We accept things as they are and assume that maybe we could even fix something by the next generation and then have everything squared away. So to cherish this life and live it as it happens, we have to know we're in Act 4. We are the therefore people. People who are because of who Jesus was and the fact that who Jesus will be again. Wells writes, Faithfulness is but effectiveness measured against a much longer time scale. Since Act 3, Jesus has happened, and Act 5, the resolution is to follow, we in Act 4, Christians can afford to fail because they trust in Christ's victory and in God's ultimate sovereignty. 
Their faithful failures point all the more to their faith in their story and its author. And so, during uncertain days, as they have always been, Highland Baptist gathers here at this corner to nurture our shared confidence in our common Lord. We come together because sometimes you have more faith than I do, and I need to lean on you. We come together because there's going to be a day when you need me to believe for the both of us. And we come together because there's going to be a day when we need the whole breadth of the saints, a cheering section to remind us that God deeply loves us, has called us to this journey, and is meeting us as we go. You see, the church has never known where it is going. Highland has found confidence to cherish this church, and they trusted that God was leading them somewhere without any knowledge of what would happen, in faith, Juliet Norton Marvin and Basil Manley Jr. secured this lot of land on this corner and built the first sanctuary. In faith, 27 charter members covenanted together to show love and fellowship to each other, to live holy lives, to do business honestly, to aid the sick and poor and labor for the church. In faith, they, without knowing what would come, started the Fellowship Fund in 1900. In faith, they launched Vacation Bible School and opened the nursery in the late 1920s, later making room for the baby boomers with 118 children under the age of three at one time. Surely they did not know how that was going to go. In faith, Highland founded mission churches around the city, raised future missionaries like Grundy Janes without knowing he was going to be Grundy Janes, and supported women in missions, including Emma Leachman, who's described as one of indomitable courage, grim determination, unfaltering faith, and never-failing humor. In faith, they grieved their war dead. In faith, they struggled through preaching good news in the midst of war and uncertain days. They weathered the Great Depression and the flu and the 1937 flood, turning the church into a shelter for the displaced. In faith, Highland built buildings, renovated buildings, added air conditioning, paved parking lots, installed stained glass windows, Bought the mighty Shantz organ for the people to sing with full voice. In faith, Highland endured seminary students and all their papers and projects and new ideas for the church. In faith, Highland hosted the Open Dialogue Coffee House on Bardstown Road in 1965 to reach out to young people. In faith, Highland chose to remain here in the Highlands while other churches moved out to the suburbs. In faith, Highland eventually changed their ways and reached out to the Catholics and the Jewish community and other denominations, even as they would eventually muster the courage to stand alone and apart from their Baptist heritage. In faith, Highland ordained 
Lillian Brown and Lenny Edwards and Faye Jeffries to be deacons. After adult Bible studies studied the scriptures to wonder and discern if women could be called to lead and serve. Though a few of the faithful likely missed the discussion so they could be in the nursery where they cared for a four-month-old girl who now preaches from the pulpit today. In faith, Highland welcomed adults with special needs. On Wednesday night, and ate dinner with them, and Keitha Brassler led them in hymns and prayer. In faith, Highland nailed crosses on the lawn and stood on street corners to pray for victims and their families. In faith, not knowing what was to come, Highland adopted four Sudanese boys, cared for Albanians, have journeyed with sub-Saharan refugees, and flung wide the doors on a Friday night. In faith, Highland ordained Troy and dedicated Nicole and ordained Bojangles and marched in the Pride Parade. Can you imagine that Juliet Norvin and Basil Manley Jr. imagined that? In faith, not knowing what is to come, we still gather here, hoping that history will be kind to us, that the generations to come will see our faith even as they have the privilege of knowing and judging what came of any of our efforts. Therefore, we cherish this space, cherish this church and these people, and this life we share. Furthermore, we approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need as it comes. If the past 125 years tells us anything, it is that we have to take the long view that allows for change, but always cherishes what stays the same. And so hold loosely to the person in the pulpit, but always cherish good news proclaimed from it. Hold loosely to your biblical interpretation. It's going to change. But always cherish the living word of God. Hold loosely to the form your faithfulness takes right now. But always cherish the call to be doers of the word. Hold loosely to traditions. But always cherish the worship of the living God. Hold loosely to narratives of the past but always cherish our autonomy to embrace a new story that God is giving us. Hold loosely to the theological language that we profess today, but always cherish our freedom to explore theological truth tomorrow. God's people have never had the luxury of knowing where they are headed, what they are building, or the people who will be changed by those acts of faith Our ancestors had their own worries, but they moved forward in faith together. Highland Baptist, we know not the way ahead, but we know the way in which we will go. We will go where Christ leads us. We will go bringing all that we have, and we will go together as one body who deeply loves one another, for God first loved us. So... Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy of what was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the throne of God. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Amen.